0: welcome back to the Dogs podcast episode 49 and uh i am joined uh this week as i am every week with our director of online training instructor shannon viljasu and uh thanks for joining us shannon
1: thanks for having me hi everybody
0: now we're going to get a little bit um back on track. We're going to, we're going to jump right back into, I don't know if you joined us for last week's episode, but we talked about, um, making the difficult decision, uh, to euthanize your dog. And, uh, that was a really tough one. Uh, we wanted to lighten the mood. We wanted to, uh, talk a little bit more about training for our podcast audience. And this week's topic is so important for any dog owner, anyone who wants a reliable response from their dog. And uh, this comes from Shannon's blog post, which we'll talk to her about in just a moment. But uh, the topic or the title of this week's episode is, is your dog easily distracted? Great, and here's why. I'm Ken Steep and welcome back to McCann Dogs. Now this is a popular topic shannon and uh, let's talk about um, the uh, reason for the blog post and why you thought it was so important to uh, open this uh, conversation with students
1: um i find that increasingly there's this there's this tone in the dog training world that people as we make our dogs bigger and bigger parts of our lives sort of like what people do with kids. When there's behavior that we don't necessarily like, we tend to excuse it away rather than working through it. And I started this blog post by saying, you know, there's two main types of people. That obviously is simplification. There's a lot of different types of people out there. But what we see a lot in dog training is the people who will either, you know, acknowledge that they're facing something difficult with their dog, like contending with distractions, and they'll roll up their sleeves and they'll really get to work and make things work for their dog. And then there's the people who will see that there's a problem and look for excuses to blame something else. So whether it's the breed, whether it's the breed tendency, whether it's the environment, you know, whatever it is, they're looking for something else to shift the blame to. And I, I, I said in the blog post, you know, of those two people, which one do you think is ends up with a well-trained dog after all is said and done? So I I, w- I wanted to bring that idea to light that, you know, every dog is trainable. And we've had 80,000 dogs come through our door since we opened in 1982. And I can tell you for a fact, there are I would venture to say that none of those dogs were untrainable. You know, they all have their own unique challenges. It, it, there's, there's the occasional dog that will come into your life that is so wonderful and they're not distracted by anything and, you know, they they just go along to get along sort of thing and they're, they're your little shadow and that's wonderful. But those dogs are few and far between and I personally have never had one of those dogs. I've had dogs that were certainly more amiable and more eager to work and do the things that I asked them to do. And I've had dogs that were a little bit more on the independent side that I've had to work a little bit harder with. Um, Those dogs, the ones that have been more independent, that I've had to think outside the box, that I've had to really deal with the distractions and the things that go on that, you know, make it difficult to get your dog's attention those are the dogs that have really made me a good dog trainer and made me realize that every dog is trainable because every single time I had any sort of a challenge with my dog you know I'm the type of personality that I look for a solution with that so I would never simply say oh dog's a toller, so he's never going to pay attention to me. No, not at all. I want that dog to pay attention to me. So I need to figure out what exactly trips that dog's trigger to get him motivated and focused on me. So thinking back over the dogs that I've had in my lifetime, you know, I love it when I have a dog that is extremely distracted by something. And I wanted to sort of pull some of the ideas and and uh, some of the rewards and the methods that we use around here. To I wanted to pull them and and put them in an article that would help people who are feeling you know frustrated and struggling with distractions. I know one in particular with Nettie, I struggled extremely with, and I'm sure we'll touch on that.
0: I. I get so frustrated when I hear the excuse makers out there that say, you know, they maybe they consume some of our content. And they say, well, good luck trying that with a Weimaraner or good luck uh, getting a whippet to do that. Or uh, I'd love to see a terrier who would uh, do this behavior and we have these instructors on staff who all have th- those dogs. I mean we have so many amazing instructors yeah. with a great variety of different breeds or we have uh, so many of these different breeds in our program that we can I can we can point to ex- exactly that breed of dog doing this behavior but it's um as you mentioned it's so vitally important to recognize that there is a challenge presented and it is you can train through it. I mean it's just it's, it's we've seen it happen so many times. And I think what um when we talk about uh distractions which are a part of everyday life with your dog and um, you know are, are a great way to proof a skill we talk about uh, you know, using a currency of reward that your dog finds valuable and maybe counterintuitively, some of those distractions may be used as a reward and, and you talk a little bit about that in your article let's touch on that for a moment
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, every dog is an individual. You know, there are breed traits for sure. And that's something that I think is really important to know as you're doing your research before you actually get into a breed. You know, for example, you need to know that a terrier, they're bred to take on vermin head-on. They're bred to be tough. They're bred to be tenacious. You need to know that going in so that you can use some of those things as, as a reward and as a benefit to you. So for example, if I've got a terrier that's really excited about motion, I can find something that uses motion to direct that attention to me and to reinforce the things that I want my dog to do which aren't necessarily innately rewarding for him. For example, if I have a terrier and I ask him to sit rather than to run after a squirrel, that really isn't going to be a rewarding behavior for him in and of itself. However, if I then use some sort of a really wonderful furry tug toy to reward that terrier for sitting when, you know, there's something that he'd rather do, I can teach him systematically to focus back on me and to t- to expect the rewards to come from me. So rather than being in the environment and trying to access his own rewards, I can control those rewards. And with Ned, I have never in my life had a dog who was so obsessed with water right from day one. And i he's actually from Vancouver. And when I went out to pick him up and I spent the weekend in Vancouver and when I was at the breeder's house, they had a kiddie pool in the backyard and all the puppies were playing. And Ned went running over to the pool multiple times and just plunked right down in it and wallowed in it. And I thought, oh, he'll fit right in with Reggie because Reggie loves to do the same thing. Well, little did I know how obsessive he was going to be about it. And basically, I found out very quickly that any puddle, any little pool of water anywhere was grounds for him to absolutely lose his little mind and want to be in there. So quite quickly in our relationship, I formulated a plan to make that work for me. And um, it really did work to my advantage because controlling that distraction basically made Ned realize that that wonderful reward was accessible through me and not through himself. So how I set that up was to control the environment. So he was always on leash if there was any chance of there being water around. And you know, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, you know that we always have our puppies on leash or long line because we want to stay one step ahead of them. And we want to make sure that we can control the environment so that we can control where the reinforcement comes from. So I started out with, we have a creek on the property here. I started out at the back with him on leash, and of course, as soon as he was near the creek, he wanted to just beeline down to it, but basically, I just physically stopped him from being able to get there, and we worked on simple things. So, for example, initially I might have started 20 feet away from the water and just waited until he gave me some sort of sign that he remembered I was there and Ned is um, Ned is sort of middle of the road when it comes to his independence level um, my uh, my first toller Jaden was one of the most independent dogs that I have ever known I had to work really hard with him to see value in me rather than value in just you know being off and playing by himself and Ned is much more amiable than that but he's sort of middle of the road he still has a very independent stream to him. So this training was really the catalyst that turned things around and made him want to work for me. And now I would say he doesn't have that independent streak at all. He is, he's fully realized that all the wonderful things in his life come from me. So he's very quick to look to me for rewards at this point. And that really all started with the water. So simple behaviors going up to the creek, asking him to sit. And then as soon as his butt was on the ground, rather than giving him a cookie, because in that environment, There was no food that would trump the water. The water was absolutely the bee's knees for him. So as soon as his butt hit the ground, I would mark it and then tell him, okay, go swim. And I'd let him go jump in the creek and play around a little bit. And I'd play with him too from the shoreline, trying to stay dry. And then I had the leash on so I could call him out and reward that if he did well with it. And sometimes my reward for that was actually to say, yes, go swim and send him right back in again. Because I had the leash on, if he said no, I can't right now. I'm too busy playing. I could physically make him get out of the water and take that reward away. So controlling that situation was so, so crucial because on the other situation, if I didn't release him to the water and he went and rewarded himself, that is basically him giving himself permission to ignore me completely and and look to the environment and his own desires for all those rewards. So, so important that you control the situation and you let them know when it's okay and when it's not within a matter of about a week or two with Ned, with repetition of that, very simple behaviors, and lots of high-end reinforcement for m- making the right choices, and that reinforcement of going into the water was as high-end as it got for Ned, within a couple of weeks, I was at the point where I could have him running full tilt to the water. I could call him, have him turn, and get that reward from me instead. So it, just in that act of him waiting for me or, or expecting permission to come from me, that helped me establish the stop of permission as well. It helped me establish the attention around uh, around water. It really, really helped him to understand that I was reinforcing in that environment. And that I think went such a long way to creating the relationship that we have now and the working relationship, especially that we have now.
0: I think it's really important especially for those of you uh who listen to our podcast that are maybe a little bit more advanced dog trainers you know you've done a, a few extra things with your dog and uh, you've you have a, maybe a little bit um, deeper understanding of the process of teaching them to do uh, unusual unique behaviors but the idea that the reward comes through you um a lot open really opens the door to a lot of different things with your dog and i think that's really a sort of a, a a, a, a very important sort of nugget of dog training wisdom that we should talk about a little bit more. Uh, it, it, I think that it's um, you use this situation where <clears throat> uh, Ned can go in the, in the water and splash around. Well, what if, what if you're struggling to, uh, to, uh, you know, not let himself reward. What are your steps? Uh, so if maybe somebody's got a, a tug toy and the dog just will not leave the tug toy alone. So what are your steps when you uh, talk about using maybe a distraction as a reward as well?
1: Well, always working at a level where the dog can be successful. So when I started talking there, I said we might have started 20 feet away from the creek initially and then moved closer. Um, So in that example with the tug toy, you know, you can have that tug toy tucked away in your pocket or you can use use it as a reward or you can use it as a distraction somewhere in the environment so that you're actually challenging your dog to work through that. And again, distance is a big factor with dogs. So if you have one of those situations where initially when you start this training, your dog is so focused on that distraction that they really aren't giving you the time of day or they're struggling against the leash to get to that distraction and they've forgotten completely that you're there on the end of the leash, move further away from it make it easier for them to have success, or maybe make that tug toy a lesser distraction. So you might, for example, put out a tug toy that they like, but they don't really lose their minds over, so that you can work through that. And then you might have the tug toy that they do lose their minds over in your pocket. So when they make the good choice, you know, you walk up to that tug toy that's sitting out that's not that exciting, and they know that they it's not an option for them at that point because you've got them on leash and you're not letting them have it if they make a better decision you know whether it's turning around and focusing on you or whether it's responding to one of the commands that you're giving them you can then mark it And reward it with the thing that they absolutely adore. So whatever that happens to be. I always try to set up the scene so that what I have to offer my dog is more rewarding than what they are having trouble with. And of course, with things like bodies of water, that was impossible. So I used the water itself because I couldn't, there was nothing that I could do to have a different piece of water to reward my dog from. But in the event of things like toys, in the event of food on the floor, you know, that's a that's a big challenge that people have when they're training using food is the dogs will often start to obsess over the floor because you drop crumbs and things like that. So I will actually proactively work through that with my dog where I put food on the ground and it's usually more boring food to start with. So for example, I would put maybe a couple of Cheerios on the ground or put something in a container where the lid's locked on, but there's holes in the lid so they can smell it. And I am going to make sure that I have steak or you know cheese or liver or something in my pocket so that when my dog responds to his name, for example, off of those Cheerios, I have something really, really amazing to reward him with in place of those Cheerios. So he doesn't feel like the distraction's there and he can never, ever get any reward from it. And it's just frustration on the part of the dog. They are such smart creatures and they will figure out very, very quickly if you're consistent and don't allow them to get to that distraction that they need to wait for you to reinforce them with that distraction. They need to wait for you to give permission and let that distraction be an option. And if they do make that good choice where they're ignoring that distraction and leaving it alone, Better things come when they focus up on you. So, yeah, I can try to steal the Cheerio off the ground, or I can look at you and I can get cheese or steak or something really wonderful plus a blunt bunch of play thrown in and you know all sorts of reinforcing things
0: and this is one of the reasons why we think it's so important to uh, manage your puppy the right way we strongly believe in using a leash uh, when you're doing this training because uh, your dog can make mistakes you you may um, overestimate your dog's ability to make the right choice and it can really move you backward if your dog finds uh, is self-rewarding if they scoop that food off the floor if they go jump in the water when they you know haven't earned it yet um, which is one of the huge reasons that we uh, want to use a leash on our dog so that if they make the wrong choice we can guide them back uh, you know it's really at uh, the foundation of a lot that we believe in and that we teach is letting your dog make a choice and would you agree with that shannon
1: Absolutely. And we actually did a podcast, um, Is Management More Important Than Training? And if you are struggling with with environmental distractions with your dog, that would be a great one to go and have a listen to. There's a blog post on it as well, because management is such a crucial component of this whole thing. I remember when I was first training Quincy, my Rottweiler, and this was when I first got into dog training, you know, a couple of decades ago now. And I remember several times through her youth thinking, I'll fix that later, I'll fix that later. I don't really know how to fix that now. I'm sure it'll fall into line later. And I ended up in a situation, once I started learning, I came to McCann's and I had all sorts of great support and advice. And I started to realize that I had sort of shot myself in the foot a little bit by making things more difficult because I had afforded her the opportunity to self reward. And I had, I had given her the chance to find things in the environment more interesting than she found me. So I don't think that in and of itself is the most important thing in the world, but I do think it's important that we don't allow the environment to be so reinforcing that we no longer are part of the equation. So having that management in place is really what makes or breaks the ease of your dog training. If you can prevent the dog from realizing all the wonderful things in the environment or thinking all the real all the wonderful things in the environment are more important than you then you will have a much easier time of maintaining their focus and having them look to you and want to do the right things and I think that really is the difference between becoming a dog trainer and understanding how to help your dog be successful and making those excuses because you're not quite sure how to solve those issues
0: and oftentimes you know we hear students say something like oh he always listens to me in the house or he always listens to me in the backyard but i go to the park and things fall apart he just won't listen you know, taking uh, uh, stock in what we've been talking about today will help you move through that uh, that the point where your dog doesn't listen anymore. Using that leash, using that line, using those distractions uh, to challenge your training is absolutely crucial. If you if you expect to have a dog who listens, who uh, who who responds every single time.
1: Definitely. And I always say, if you have a dog that, if you've you've made that statement, and I remember making that statement with Quincy, like she was doing this all week at home and then I'd come to class here and she'd be distracted by the other dogs in class. And I'd be thinking, I look like I haven't practiced at all. And we worked really hard this week. I I always think back to that now. And when I'm talking to students, I always say, you know what, if if they're listening in the house, that's wonderful. It means that they're a cooperative dog by nature, which is great. They want to work for you. Now you just have to challenge it with the distractions. And that is something that you can systematically approach. You know, I I always talk about setting up distractions rather than waiting for them to occur naturally in the environment. Like we just talked about, you know, putting the food out on the floor and working through that with the dog. It's going to give your dog a great opportunity to understand what the exercise is. And then when you get to the point where you're out and about in the real world and there's real world distractions, they've had practice in the house in an environment that's familiar to them, but with that challenge of the distraction being added to the environment. So never underestimate how strong that is going to make your dog training. And I think that's one of the things that I was missing when I first started training Quincy. Um, I think we filled in the gaps pretty quickly when we started the program here at McCann's, but I would expect the same behavior out and about in the real world that I got in the house. And I didn't really understand until I started training here how to sort of bridge that gap and how to fill in the uh, in the gap between the sterile environment of my house that wasn't novel and wasn't exciting and the exciting environment of class or the park down the street, et cetera. So we We made leaps and bounds in progress when i when I got to the point where I knew I needed to set up those distractions and teach her through those, and basically just continue to incrementally increase the distractions until she was at the point where you know I could be dropping food. On her head as she was doing an attention exercise and she would still continue watching because she knew those distractions were not an option watching me was what got her the great rewards so it's so so important it can't be overstated enough how important it is to help your dog work through those distractions
0: absolutely we know that reliable skills are built on a solid foundation of success so if you feel like you're struggling then take a step back make it a little bit easier for your dog to be successful we we are often Talking about how being um, consistent, clear, uh, and fair with your dog uh, is vital to your to your dog training. Um, you know, m- making making it a little bit easier for your dog to be right. You would never just drop uh, those treats on her head uh, in, in your second lesson. You'd make sure that you'd had some success so that she clearly understood the skill. I think that's so uh, that's, uh, such um, that's such an important that's such an important takeaway for our students. Who sometimes we get questions and they say, oh, you know, I took my dog to the. Closet and uh, he's not he's not responding to name I don't know what it is well we we need to set our dogs up to be successful because we know um, how situational dogs can be you know they they uh, they have a tough time generalizing uh, some of these things and some of these distractions are more challenging than others
1: Definitely. And and I saw that with Ned when we went out and about starting our field training work and when we started getting into other ponds and other bodies of water. And I usually had to get to wherever we were going and set up a little drill so that we could work through that first so that he understood the rules in this water are the same as the rules in the water we've been practicing at. But it would usually be, you know, until he probably until he was about eight or nine months of age. And then we could get to the point where I could get somewhere and I would have his full listening and his full attention right there and then, And, and that sounds young, I know eight or nine months of age, but that really is the sort of age that you start to feel if you have managed the situation well and not allowed the dog to self-reward in all sorts of different environments, that's the age where you start to really see things coming together as far as that obedience and the dog's understanding and the dog looking to you for information. So um, never underestimate the difference in the environment. And as you said, dogs being tremendously situational, we need to take that into account when we go to different locations. They're not going to have the same responses early on in their training when you get to the cottage as they would when you were practicing in your backyard at home so those are all things that have to come into play and those are just environmental distractions and you can work through those just as well as you would work through any other distraction
0: tons of really important information about training your dog and using distraction and uh, how important it is to for your dog to have a full understanding of uh, their responsibilities when it comes to um, Working through you know some of these these challenges, uh, it's lots of fun to uh, challenge your dog with something new. And I think I love the fact Shannon's example of uh, sending Ned to water. I just love that as a uh, a reward for your dog as well. Now at the end of our podcast episodes, we've started to ask our community uh, if they have any questions that they'd like us to answer. And today's question comes from Paul Cote, and Paul says my six-year-old Chihuahua raises his leg and marks his territory. Whenever I take him to someone else's house, I keep a very close eye for the first few hours. But he still manages to sneak it in. And uh, Shannon, I know you've written, uh, um, I believe, a blog post on this topic specifically.
1: I have. It's a topic near and dear to my heart because I have, um, except for Quincy, my Rottweiler, I have exclusively had male dogs in my life, and most of them have been intact until uh, there's a reason for them not to be intact—a health reason, or you know, if they've left me. Um, but this is something that I find to be several different things to contribute to the idea of you are not allowed to lift your leg anywhere but sort of the designated area so that means not in the house that means not on my deck you know there's places in the yard that you can certainly lift your leg I personally do not like my dogs peeing on other people's bushes or shrubs you know some some people don't mind I'm sure but I find it is inappropriate to let my dog pee on other people's properties. So when we are walking to the park, my dogs are not allowed to stop and lift their leg. And and that again, that in itself is twofold because if I allow my dogs to stop while we're doing a let's go and walking and I'm expecting them to walk in heel position, if I allow them to stop and lift their legs on things, chances are I'm going to be stopping about every three or four steps with those boys, especially with more than one boy with me on my walk usually. So, the rule is no, you're not allowed to stop when we're doing Let's Go. When we're on our way and we're walking, I expect you to maintain control position at my left hand side and keep a loose lead. And you can, you know, you can air scent, but stopping and peeing on everybody's everything is not something that I allow my dogs to do. And then when we get to where we're going where they can pee, I will then tell them okay hurry up and that's my command for my cue rather for them to be able to mark somewhere if um if i let them off leash and tell them okay you're free dog sort of thing at that point they can go and they can pee on things wherever they want they're on their own time and i know boys love marking so you know they usually have the uh, all my boys out they usually have the line up at whatever tree it is that's being anointed and the first dog will pee on it and then wander away and the second dog will pee on it wander away and then oftentimes the first dog will come back and reanoint things. So that's all well and good. So I very clearly established that this is an okay time for you to go to the bathroom. and I'm consistent with that the rest of the time, I'm very consistent with you are not allowed to mark. And with all of the boys that I've had, I've never once had a dog that has tried to lift their leg in the house. And I don't know if that's just dumb luck, or if that's because I've been very consistent with the idea that you can only do this, you know, when you're when you're given permission. And it's not as um, it's not as militant as it sounds. It's just a bit of consistency. And I think that really helps with the idea of not marking inside of buildings inside of the house at my friends' houses. I will oft, I will also teach my dogs to not pee on that. And that's actually the phrase that I use. Um, just don't pee on that. So if I see them heading towards something that I think, you know what, I don't think that's a good place to pee. Or, For example, here around the property, we all walk our dogs off-leash here all the time. There's a couple of houses on the property, and we I do not want my dogs to pee on the corners of those houses. I think it's i think it's inappropriate. So there's a million different places for them to be able to pee on this property, probably a million and 20, uh, so they can use those as their areas to pee. And I will very clearly teach them a strong leave-it command so that they understand understand when they approach something, and you can always tell when the boys are going to pee, you see that sniffing, you see that sort of sidling up to something. And I will work very hard on leave it, which with my dog's turns into don't pee on that specifically for the leg lifting thing. And that comes with a lot of rewards for me, but it also comes with me being on my toes and getting that information out very quickly and very early. So chances are I'm never going to have a dog that offers to not pee on something. Once they've set their mind on it, they're probably going to be thinking about peeing on it unless I interrupt it. So again, initially, this is why having your dog on a leash or on a long line is such an important thing because as soon as you see them start to lift their leg and start to lift their leg potentially on something inappropriate, you have the means of stopping it. So I will either at that point tell my dog quickly with a nice sharp leave it. And if they, you know, initially they probably don't necessarily understand that that applies to lifting their leg as well. So I have that leisure line on so I can back myself up. I can pick up that leisure line and I can remind my dog leave it and I can direct them away from whatever it is they were about to lift their leg on. And then, of course, I will give them the other half of the equation. So I'll bring them over to something they can pee on and I'll reinforce that. Okay, buddy, go hurry up over here. And that gives them that great information. Not everything is available for you to pee on. Even though your instinct says that's what you want to do, you need to mind your P's and Q's. So that, of course, means that I have to be on my toes.
0: And mind and that, your P's specifically. <laughs>
1: Very good. Very clever. Um, So that in and of itself is probably not going to transfer to the house, but having that cue in place and that command to say, leave it or don't pee on that, which is for whatever reason, that's what my cue evolves into when we're out and about, hey, don't you pee on that. And then the boys will look back at me and I'll praise them and I'll say, okay, go hurry up over there. And it's all just information, but it makes it viable for me to watch when they're in new places and especially when they're young and in new places. It makes it a viable option for me to stop them from that behavior. And I think that that is such an important thing to have with males, whether they're intact or not. And a lot of the times with females too, you do get females that really, really like like to mark as well so it's something that's a really handy thing to have in your back pocket
0: I think what's um, sort of the overarching idea here is that you are aware and you are uh, observing your dogs to give them that information I know Paul had mentioned that for the first couple hours uh, the dog's okay but he the, he still manages to sneak it in so I would urge Paul to really keep an eye on his dog if he's not able to supervise them through this then maybe taking your crate to your friend's house is a good idea because then your dog can be free for however much time uh, you want them want to have them out and then when you get distracted and your dog is likely to make a mistake then they can you can pop them in their crate which uh, you know they, they won't ha- like they're less likely to have an accident in and they can't mark your neighbor's cat or your friend's couch or wall or thing, um that, when they're and in there. That
1: is- sorry, that is the great management aspect of things. So again, management in training and with your dog is so, so important. So I think, Paul, what we're what we're trying to say here is that it's not going to be one quick thing, there is going to be some training that you need to do outside of that specific situation, and then management inside of that situation to make sure that that the dog doesn't make a mistake and doesn't make the wrong choice.
0: Yeah, really great. Now, if you have questions that you'd like us to answer here on the McCann Dogs podcast, you can always ask us uh, on our Twitter uh, feed at McCann Dogs, or you can uh, leave a comment in one of the, uh, any of our social media platforms. You can reach out to us and let us know, because we'd really like to take this opportunity to answer your questions. And I know there are lots and lots of questions out there, but uh, the easiest one is probably on our Twitter feed at McCann Dogs. Now, I want to thank you for joining us here on the McCann Dogs podcast. We hope you uh, learned a little bit about distractions and why they're so important to your dog training. But uh, most importantly, I want to thank uh, the director of online training for the My Dog Can program, instructor Shannon Viljasu. Thanks for joining us, Shannon. Lots of great advice today.
1: Oh, thank you. It's absolutely my pleasure. I love doing this.
0: And if this is your first time on our podcast, make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button. Uh, We publish new episodes every single week to help you understand the why behind how dogs think and learn. And on that note, I'm Ken and this is Shannon. Happy training. Bye for now.
1: Bye everybody.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.